Welcome to Real Financial Planning, broadcast on WKXL. And we're available wherever you get your podcasts. So look, if you're listening on podcasts, or if you're not, but you're podcast curious, go to whatever app, please, that you use for podcasts or heard about using for podcasts. Just press that little plus sign, that subscribe or follow button. That's what that's for. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us out. And it especially helps out Mike Morton, the owner of Morton Financial Advice, who is the host of the terrific podcast, Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. We also throw this podcast in the Capital Close-Up podcast feed. Both of those would benefit from your subscriptions. Mike, how you doing? Good, man. I like the plug. I think we should have the plugs in the middle, too, because maybe people are listening on the air. They might have not caught the start of the episode if they're just getting in their cars five minutes from now. So we should maybe do that two or four times, you know, throughout the episode. (laughs) All right. Yeah, we'll replug. And by the way, I want to be very clear about something. By benefit, what I mean is it benefits the podcast. You get absolutely no benefit whatsoever from doing these. Hopefully the listener will get the benefit. If you subscribe, you will get the benefit of never missing an episode. There you go. Yeah, there it is. Hey, speaking of of not getting too many benefits right now. Look, we got to do it. We did a show recently where we started to prepare for the inevitable. Eventually, a bear market comes, right? A right. bear market is coming no matter what, the way the stock market works. And it's here. And now that it's here, we thought we would revisit this and talk about it and, and really dive into, all right, you know, plan only never survives first contact with the enemy. So now the enemy is here. What are we all thinking and doing about it? So first of all, could you just remind us, technically, what is a bear market? The big bear is here. The stock market, which is usually measured by the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones index, or just the broad U.S. stock market. Now that we have better indices, computers are easily able to track these things. But interesting, that it used to be kind of the Dow because there's only 30 stocks. So much easier to track. We only have to like hand figure out 30 things on your spreadsheet. But now we have computers. We can track the whole market. Correction, a correction is when down from the peak. So whatever the last peak was, if the market is down 10%, we call that a correction. And if it goes down by 20%, we call that a bear market. So from the most recent high, which was just a few months ago, to today, it is now down over 20% the market. So the S&P 500, the total U.S. stock market, and the Dow Jones, they're all below that now. Below 20% and having closed. We touched at 19% a few weeks ago, but it didn't officially close at down 20%. So once you're down 20% officially closed, then that is a bear market. So we are officially in bear market territory. So, obviously, past history, well, history is past, <laughs> duh, but <laughs> past history is, future is no, history. <laughs> yeah, I've already done my, my objection on this show to past performance is not an indicator of future results. I hate right. that disclaimer. It's, where else are you going to look for information right. about the future than the past, right? It's don't judge a book by its cover. Well, actually, it's a source actually. of really useful information. <laughs> I am going to judge a book, but I like this author, so there's a good chance I'm going to like this book. But what can we read? from history. There are different types of bear markets, right? And so what is it at least, what does that range look like? What could we be dealing with here? Yeah, it's really fascinating. Of course, we should take some from history. I think that's really valuable. Here's things yeah. that have happened in the past. And, and so the past future will will unfold somewhat. We And we will look back and relate it somehow. Oh, it was like this one. It wasn't like this one. So we should definitely look at history to see what has happened before. And they come in all shapes and sizes. And I just mentioned official bear markets. 
there haven't been too many. Maybe I don't know the stats off the top of my head. Seven to ten official bear markets in the last hundred years, and we know two most recent ones: the dot com back in two thousand to two thousand two, and then the housing crisis oh eight oh nine. Those were the last two, and then of course the most recent. Sorry, March of twenty twenty. But that one's hard to remember. It was so fast. So those are are three official bear markets that have just happened pretty recently, the last 20 years. But then there's been a whole bunch of 19% drops. I mentioned they're not official bear markets. There's been many more of those where we've gotten really close. So what are these corrections, like like mega corrections, mega corrections? Yeah, 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 very close to bear markets. So what do they look like? They come in all shapes and flavors and sizes. They go down quickly, back up quickly. They go down quickly and stay down for a long time. They go down slowly and stay down for a long time. So we've, I would say this, we've gotten used to very fast corrections in those three that I mentioned. March of 2020 was the fastest down and back up. We call it the V-shape bear market. It was, you look at the graph, it's straight down, the fastest bear market, and then probably the fastest to recover. I don't know if that's true, but probably is true. It was just very fast bear market. And even 08, 09 was two or two to four years. Okay. It was, takes, a, it took about four years, almost five to get back to that peak. You could think that is a long time. Geez, the next four to five years. But in terms of historical perspective, that's not very long. And then the 2000 to 2002 was also pretty fast, two or three years from top to bottom. So those are some faster ones, but let me tell you what you should be thinking about. There's much longer ones. Okay, ones that last almost a decade. All right, we are in 2022. This could be the high water mark a few months ago until 2032. Mm. Okay, <laughs> that's a really long time, but that has happened in the past. So we need to be prepared for those kinds of things as well. Thanks. That's yeah. really depressing, <laughs> jerk. And uh, right. how dare you cite historical economic statistics? It's true. It's interesting that there are all these... And- I was being tongue-in-cheek about not wanting to overread into history. do want to draw some conclusions, but not too many conclusions. I was talking on the show I do with Chris Hill. He's the host of Motley Fool Money. People may be familiar with The Motley Fool, big stock investing website, and they have several podcasts. He hosts the daily radio show and podcast. It's the number one stock investing radio show in America. And he comes on my show out of the goodness of his heart. And Chris was saying that it's all too possible to overread the lessons and have recency bias. So if what yes. you've got in mind when you think about a bear market is the last experience, you could be like a rookie drafted onto the New England Patriots in 2001. You could think that the way football works is you go onto a football team, you play a season, and then you go to the Super Bowl. That's how, how it works. Football, that's the NFL, right? That's everyone's experience. It's not that experience most of the time for most people. And this giant V-shaped upswing, it's, oh, we had a bear market for five minutes, but now we're, it's party right. time. That may not be what happens. And it's very unlikely to be what happens this time. Just before we freak all our listeners out, though, you're not saying it's awful likely that we're going to have the 10-year slog fest either, right? Yeah. For those I, of us who may have yeah. some big expenses coming and we need That's our right. assets to appreciate <laughs> in 10 years, you know, college and whatnot. Exactly. I wouldn't expect that to happen. I would say that's, I would put it at two ends of the spectrum, potentially. This is me just thinking through what could happen in the next years. 
The V-shaped recovery, I would put at a small percentage chance. I don't think we're going to be at new all-time highs here in 2022. So the next six months, I don't think we'll be hitting an all-time high. It's possible, of course. Equally sort of unlikely is a 10-year, you know, what I just mentioned, that we might not be hitting another high till 2032. I would put those at the same kind of likelihood. Probably somewhere in between. Probably a few years of going nowhere, going sideways, going down, going up a little bit, and then hopefully we're back to appreciating. Kind of like that 08, 09, three or four years. It was a pretty fast recovery off the bottom on that one. He started feeling good, even though it chugged along going up slowly. That's what I would, you know, hope for is that kind of thing, that kind of recovery. And that would be fine. That would be good. I think we would all feel all right about that. But let me also make the listeners feel good with some other stats that even though it's been tough, down 20%, you know, we're officially down 22% since the highs. Over the past decade, even including this downturn, we've made an annual 13% a year gain. And so that's pretty good. You should feel pretty good. I said to you 10 years ago, hey, you want 13% a year gain? I think everyone would be like, yeah, that sounds pretty great. Let's do that. Yeah. (laughs) And just to back up your point, I had, and you were saying a few minutes ago, hey, we should remind people about (laughs) subscribing. I'm going to do that right now because the biggest podcast that I have is called Beyond Politics. And I really hope people have subscribed to that. We bring on some really fascinating guests like you. The only difference being... Maybe slightly more people have heard of Mark Zandi, one of the most famous economists in America. Now, in the near future, (laughs) just as many people will have heard of Mike Morton. But we had Mark Zandi on the Beyond (laughs) Politics show. So please subscribe to that and your show and Capital Close-Up. We want subscriptions here, people. And he was making (laughs) that exact point. He actually wrote uh, an op-ed piece in the Philadelphia Inquirer a couple of weeks ago making the case We shouldn't be worried about a 1970s stagflation scenario. It's possible. A recession is possible. And a recession would probably extend this bear market. It would be bad economic news. A recession is possible. Stagflation, which is where you have stagnation and inflation, you have a recession and high inflation, it's possible. You can't rule it out. But... They're not very likely, and the conditions economically are better than, for example, the last major bear market we had before that 2020 V-shaped dip in 2008. And he made a number of points about the amount of cash that people have on hand, the amount of money that people are devoting to their housing situation, um, which is a lot less. And that's that's an indicator of economic health today, the position of business income and profitability. All of these indicators suggest that we're in a stronger position. The odds of a recession are a lot lower. The numbers do suggest that it's a lot less likely that we're headed for some kind of an extended, either recession or extended bear market situation. We can't rule it out. So here's hoping. Yeah, I would say it's trending more likely to have a little bit of a recession we already have high inflation, it's right around 9% at the moment, and we thought that would just be here for a minute or two. Turns out it's a little bit longer than that, given demand and supply, especially the demand side, which is good right? that we have the demand. People are still spending money and buying stuff. It's just hard to get. And so I think we are going to have some inflation for a while, and I think the likelihood of a recession is still fairly high. Even though we have good indicators, businesses are doing well, there's just a lot of places hurting as well. So we'll see what the economic... And it's always one that you look backwards. There's a reminder. Recessions, you never know when you're in them. It's only afterwards that economists point out, oh yeah, that was a recession. It started yeah, you know, six months ago. 
This is why people hate economists. I mean, there's many reasons. Many right. reasons. I remember my mother, when I decided to major in economics, said to me, well, it's not really a science, is it? It's more like a set of principles. And I did come to believe that economics, I was like, thanks, Ma. She's a sociologist, right. which is like a definite social science, and she's very statistically. Right. Anyway, I, I do see her point, though, which is economics does function a lot like meteorology, which is the weather person is always better at saying, here's what happened last week. I can explain that to you. Then here's what's going to happen right. next week. Although forecasts are improving all the time. The point about inflation, and again, I commend that episode with Mark Zandi to everyone because it did break things down in a really helpful way. And just to think a little bit about the inflation piece, he made a really compelling case that inflation is almost all being caused by COVID, like the pandemic, and Russia. Say it with me here, people, COVID and Russia. There's some good news in that the pandemic situation, obviously we've been dealing with the Omicron wave, but what we're finding is less and less medical impact from having COVID, fewer hospitalizations as people's vaccination rate has continued to go up, as more and more people have now had COVID and have more protection the economic and social impact of COVID is going down. Obviously, the situation in Russia is unknown. It's unknown how that's going to play out. And the disruption is likely to continue. But as economically, we begin to work our way around it. We identify other sources of uh, energy supply as we work out expanded liquefied natural gas export capacity in the U.S. As we begin to expand that and we can make up for Europe's needs, that puts downward pressure on prices in Europe. It's a global commodity. All of those economic effects play out. So there are reasons to believe that inflation is near its peak or has already hit its peak and may be going down. And that would be obviously good economic news and good news for the market. Yeah, I mean, that sounds wonderful. And I definitely want to check out that episode because to me, like, I, yeah, I agree that inflation, there are definitely a lot of causes for inflation, right? The war and COVID being the main ones, right? That that started a chain reaction of other problems, supply chain. Luckily, the demand, like I said, is still really high. People have saved, like you mentioned, the cash balances in bank accounts. People saved a lot more money. So that's great. They're ready to spend it. They're ready to get out and do stuff. So the demand is really high. So I do think that inflation is probably at its peak. But I, and hopefully we'll come down, obviously, from a peak, but I don't know how fast or how much. And when the Fed has always said, oh, we want to target about 2 or 3%, man, I'm pretty hesitant to say we're going to be at 2 or 3% anytime in the near future. So I still think you have inflation running. And let's look back at that stagflation, which hopefully we'll avoid. That was a 16-year run. And in 16 years, prices of goods doubled over those 16 years. And so I certainly hope we're going to avoid a situation where things are going to double right. that quickly in terms of prices. But we could be in a situation if it runs at 4 to 5%, we could be at that situation again where prices are really on the rise for multiple years in a row. Well, you and I did a show about inflation, the effects of inflation, and we, we kind of tried to keep it simple. I don't want to redo that entire show right now because this is really focused on the bear yeah. market. But for people who are thinking about kind of like the overall economic situation, just go back in the Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs podcast or the Capital Close-Up podcast. You can find those uh, that episode. And I, I think it gives a pretty yeah. good rundown of you know how to think about it from your own personal 
finance standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. a tip. Things are more expensive. Boom. You're done. <laughs> Boom. All right. Um, you know, I, what, what we do focus on is is more of the, the bear market piece. So yep. let's just, just in a nutshell, what are you now? And let me... Let me let me ask it to you actually in a slightly different way. Um, what are your clients concerned about? Are you getting phone calls? Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. So what's everyone saying these days? What are the questions that are coming up? And then what do you recommend? Like, what do you tell them to do? So here's the good news from my perspective and from my business, Matt. I have gotten, I think if I think about the last two months, I have received one email on this front about what are we doing with our portfolios you know, given... Yeah, given everything, right? Everything we're talking about today. So I haven't heard kind of anything. And the reason why is if you go back and listen to all our episodes, what have we been preaching to do? We have been preaching tons of different financial planning tips and strategies and little things you can do like in that inflation episode and I-bonds. But in general, we have been saying consistently, have a plan. This is going to happen. A bear market is going to come. I don't know if it's this year, next year, five years. Well, here we are. We're here. We have a plan. And so that's setting the expectation with my clients, setting it with the listeners in this podcast. If you go back and listen, we have been consistent. Have a plan. Be ready for what's going to happen. And so when I've set that expectation with my clients sitting in front of me saying, here's a plan, here's what we're going to do, saying it to them over time, all the time, that setting the expectations that we are ready for this. And then I've also been communicating, Matt. I've been proactive, same as we're doing on this podcast. Hey, this is happening. What should you be thinking about? What should you be doing? So I do the same with my clients, reaching out to them, saying, here's where we are. We've planned for this, and here's what we're doing next. All right, so Mike Morton, we're in a bear market. This feels like a pamphlet you're going to get at the doctor's office. It's like, so you're having a bear market. (laughs) Um, So you're having a bear market, and you were just saying, good news is... Your clients, the people you work with, they're not exactly calling you in a panic because you always preach, let's have a plan so that we know that if this happens, we're set up, we're, we're in good shape, this is the approach we're going to take. And people have basically stuck with that, so that's good. But in general, since not everyone is your client, what should people who are worried about their own personal investments be concerned about right now? Wait, why is, why is not everybody my client? <laughs> Because you only have so many hours in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Never mind. So what should people be concerned about? Obviously, hopefully listen to episode a few weeks ago when we talked about, you know, this might be coming, how to think about it. What you really need to be prepared for, again, is here's where we are today. And we can't worry about what's happened in the past. We need to worry about where we're going from here. So the biggest concerns are really where you are in your life. Okay, so think about that. I'm still working for many years. I've just retired. I've been retired for 10 years. Where are you? What monies do you have? Either adding to them or using them. And then how long do you need those to last? So you're thinking about your life and your situation. Then overlay what could happen from here with those pots of money. Now, this is what I'm talking about in terms of how long could this bear market last and how bad could it be? So, It could be a nice little V-shape we talked about. I think that's relatively unlikely, but hopefully that happens. We're right back. Remember that even today, we're recording this here towards the end of June, the stock market's still pricey, to be honest. Even though it's come down 22%, it's not super cheap, okay? So I wouldn't expect going straight back up in the next six months or one year and having your portfolio completely recover. So it could be multiple years. So think about that. What if your portfolio is down for two, three, five years at this level, maybe a little bit worse than this level over that number of years. 
How does that uh, look and feel to you given your life situation? So those are the kind of scenarios you have to think about personally, where you're going to be in one year, three years, five years, and 10 Mm -hmm. years from now with your portfolio, knowing that the market could be, say, flat or down over that time period, and how will you respond to that? It reminds me a little bit about the story of uh, two friends camping in the woods, and they see a bear, and one of them starts running away, and the other one says, wait, why are you running? You, You can't outrun a bear. And the first guy says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I have to outrun you. (laughs) Now, a couple of things about that. First of all, I would definitely sacrifice you to a bear. I just want you to know that. Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah, just just so we're clear. Second of all, um, that's not really the case when you're running from a bear market. It's if the bear market eats all your friends and colleagues and people in similar life situations first. It's not coming for you at the same time. But I do read a little bit here into what you just said of – What you do need to think about is you are thinking about outrunning the bear a little bit. What is your savings situation, your retirement situation? What are you going to need? When are you going to have to deploy your assets? You could be in my situation where your next big expense coming up isn't a house purchase. It's sending kids to college. You know where that is, where you currently stand. And the kind of thing that people do with you is they look at the scenarios, what they're going to need, what they can assume under various scenarios. And it's back to that forming a plan So you see, depending on how fast the bear is, or really how long the bear goes in this case, are you going to be able to outrun the bear? And if not, can you sacrifice a Mike Morton to the bear's hunger first? (laughs) Sacrifice someone else to the bear and hope it stops. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. But wait, the first part, not the second part. Could we find a sacrifice to give to the bear? Could we say... Offer that's, Warren I think that's Buffett a different podcast. To the bear. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, enjoy, enjoy this billionaire. Eat him. Eat him instead. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he can bail the rest of us out. <laughs> that would be delightful. So, yeah, I think that's right. And knowing where you are and how long the bear is going to be chasing you, can you outlast it? So that's something to really think about. If you're in retirement, hopefully you've already thought about this. I need two years, five years, 10 years worth of spending that is not going to be cut in half. So in other words, I don't have that uh, 200,000 I'm going to spend over the next couple of years or five years, all sitting in a hundred percent stock market that has just gone down. No, I I need that money. So hopefully you've thought that through. If you need money in the next few years, it's really sitting in cash. Mm -hmm. If you need things, you know, beyond that, what's your portfolio and breakdown. And it really depends on, like I said, your age and your situation. Can I ask you a potentially dumb question? Of course. That's that's implied when I'm asking questions. We were saying on not just a show a few weeks ago, but this is a point you've consistently made that the the sneaky trick for budgeting is don't budget. Do your savings first. Set aside your savings first, and whatever's left over, that's what you spend. It's just so much easier Mm -hmm. and more financially sound that way. It's a quick question. If you are retired or you're about to be retired – Is it the reverse? Do you actually have to decide, here's how much I have to spend because you're no longer actively saving? Do you actually flip that advice on its head? Yeah, that's a great question. I've never thought about it that way, but that's exactly right. So in retirement, what we do is exactly what you said. What am I going to spend this year? And where is that money coming from? Of course, that's everybody. Listen, you and I haven't thought too much about it because hopefully we have many good years working ahead of us. But when you're you kidding at the rate, I'm killing it on podcasts. I'm retiring tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. 
That's right. Or 100 years from now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Killing it on the podcast. But if you're about to retire or if you're in retirement, your number one question is, where's my money coming from? Right. Literally. Right. Oh, where is it coming from? How much do I need? And where is it coming from? And then projecting that out a few years, whether you're getting some social security, whether you're getting a pension, whether it's all in your own pile of money in 401ks that you have to manage yourself, where that money is exactly coming from. That's the whole question. So you're exactly right, Matt, that figuring that out first, like how much am I spending? Where is that money coming from? And then segmenting it. Again, I always look at having, I'll just throw it out there. I use buckets in terms of retirement. So two years, the next two years, this year, next year, maybe two to three years is in cash. Literally like cash money markets, maybe CDs, you're not gonna go down in value. Anywhere from two to two to eight years, from there would be in very short-term stable bonds. Now, unfortunately, those have gone down this year. And so that's been an unfortunate part of this bear market that those have really seen a hit as well due to the interest rates. And then you've got sort of 10 years of your spending over the next 10 years in very safe assets that won't be like cut in half over that time. It does sound a lot like the advice I'm constantly giving the kids on my daughter's soccer team. I coach their soccer team and there's always asking me this next team we're playing what's the record how good are they and it's like i don't know and i don't care i literally say to them (laughs) i don't care because we're going to focus on the things that we can control and so it sounds like on either side of that retirement divide all you can do is focus on the things that you can control so if you're retired what's the one thing you can control you can control the spending side and so it sounds like to the extent that you have some flexibility in on your spending side, you can control that. And maybe you become a little bit more risk averse. You look at your two, five, and 10 year window and you say, yep. all right, how can I just slow the flow a little bit here? And that's what you can control. If you're not, if you're on the other side of the divide like us, then you, the, we've talked a little bit about some of the prep you can do, but hopefully you're not scrambling. You're not like suddenly jumping to do something right now because it was always a possibility that we would right. enter bear market territory. So might you do a little adjustment on the overall risk in your portfolio, how much is sitting in bonds? You might do a, a small one, but hopefully that was a planned change. You have a wider scope of what you can control you know, what you're saving, what you're spending, more options, but it comes down to that same basic idea. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's great, not great about having a big bear market, but now that we're here, we, I feel like we had this. this. No, you're selling it. What's great about great. a bear market? This, we always have to look for a silver lining. Yeah. I love that about COVID. Right. The silver lining. You know what's great is, about your broken uh, leg? Opportunity to work you on get your to signature. Around. Yeah. But you can really build the muscles in your other leg. You've been <laughs> there. It is. I feel like we had this episode a few weeks ago. It was like, what preparing for a bear market? And, and it just, when we were talking about it, having that conversation, I feel like, yeah, yeah. Okay, Mike and Matt. Yeah, okay. Those are probably good ideas. And now that we're here, I feel people are probably more tuned in because suddenly the pain is real. Like you've reached that threshold of having some real pain. Oh my gosh, this is actually happening. I'm hearing it in the news. Like it's everywhere. Headlines, bear market. And now, and this is true of so many things in life, not until you reach a high pain point, will you make a change. All right. So what I want you to think about is now that you're reaching that pain point, and like Matt said, hopefully you're not making any changes. But if you're finding yourself looking at your portfolio and freaking out, 
like, oh my gosh, I was like way too invested and everything's gone down and I, I got to sell and you're freaking out and you're wanting to make a lot of changes or maybe you are making a lot of changes. Use that as understanding of yourself to say, oh, I was not invested the right way four months ago to handle the inevitable bear market. So really, this is what we always say when, we're, when I'm meeting new clients. Hey, how did you react during the last bear market? When stocks really went down, I don't just say, do you want investment A that could go up 20% or investment B that could go up 5%? Of course, everyone wants investment A, it goes up 20%. Who wouldn't want that? Because, oh, by the way, it goes down 20%. So what did you do during the last bear market? What did you actually do with your portfolio when the pain was high and real? That will tell you what you're going to do next time. And so therefore, use this opportunity to have a better plan for the next 5, 10, 20 years for yourself. And a moment ago, I was drawing a bright line distinction between you're retired, you're not retired. There are people who are on the cusp. They're in that liminal, mm -hmm. oh, that's a big word. They're about to retire. They just retire. If yep. you're in that zone, you have an in-between in the number of levers you can pull on and things you can control, right? There, there are a few decisions you could make. Absolutely. No, there's all, we all have a lot of control about how we behave. So you said it exactly right, Matt. We can't control the bear market. We have no idea how long, how bad, you know, what it's going to look like. But what we can control is our reactions and our actions. So our spending is obviously one of those. We can control to the degree we have discretionary spending, how much we are spending. In retirement, before retirement, are you gonna take a part-time job? Are you gonna stay in your job for a few extra years? So you can decide, I'll stay, geez, now's a bad time to retire. Maybe I was thinking about it, but now I'll stick around and see what happens. Might have that opportunity. And that's a double whammy. If you can work one extra year, not only do you get to save for an extra year, but you get to not spend from your portfolio for an extra year. Mm. And that double whammy makes a massive difference towards retirement success. So there's something that you can look at having that control over that action. Hopefully you have control in your job. And you said a couple of weeks ago that just delaying Social Security is a big windfall too, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Just let me mention around the retirement oh, yeah, too, yeah. going part-time, right? So like maybe go part-time, maybe you can do some consulting for a little bit so you can ease into ease mm. into retirement, not like just full bright line stop. And then social security, you should definitely look at delaying social security as long as possible. Everybody's situation is unique, of course, but the more, every year that you delay social security, you get a guaranteed about six to 8% bump in the monthly pay. All right. So that's just every year that we can delay that for the rest of the time you're drawing, you will get that additional pay. Now, here's the interesting thing about the Social Security that I get a lot. People always think of, oh, if I delay it by a year, that means I'm not getting that money for a year. And then I get a little bit of an increase, six to 8% increase. How Then they, people go to straight to what's the break even? If I delay for five years, I lose out on five years worth of money and make a little bit more every year. So it might be the break even when you've gotten the same amount of money from the government it might be 15 years out. Right. Okay. You delay it five years and then you're getting a little bit more. So you finally make it up. But that's the wrong way of thinking about it because it doesn't matter when you break even. The only thing that matters is how long you live. Okay. Are you going to have enough money to live as long as you need to and never run out of money? That's what really matters. So the longer you delay, if you happen to pass away before or near that break-even point, you won't care. You didn't run out of money, <laughs> okay? You were fine. You lived the way you wanted to, and you didn't run out of money. 
The only thing that matters is if you get to 80, 90, 100 years old and you're starting to run out of money. And in that case, the decision is always right to delay. Now, don't take my word for it. It's always right to delay. There are certain situations you want to take it early, but really think of it that way. Delay Social Security as long as you can is usually the correct way of thinking about it. This is an opportunity for me to spend 30 seconds on my soapbox reminding people this is just something. Look, I've written memos to for potential presidential candidates as part of my work as a congressional staffer. I, I won't mention the candidate, but I've literally been in the position of trying to explain to people who are going to run for president, think about Social Security not like a bank account. It's not a bank account. That was the number one mistake that George W. Bush made back when he said he was going to reform Social Security, put it into the stock market, whatever. It's not a bank account, okay? It's insurance. It is social insurance. Mm -hmm. It is insurance against being poor when you're old. That's what it is. It's insurance. And so you would not think about another piece of insurance. It's like my house might light on fire. Is it worth it to me to get to to cash in on my policy? You don't want to have to. You don't want your house to catch on fire. And I think the way you couched it is a great way to think about it. It is still insurance. If you're in this position, again, I'm not giving, I'm definitely not giving financial advice (laughs) to people in specific situations. Look into it for yourself. But as a general matter, if you're in the position of you could delay and you could get that extra six to 8% bump, first Mm -hmm. of all, you were just saying that the stock market return has been 13% annually during this, what was the time frame? the last? The last 10 years, even given the recent decline, the last 10 years, we've gotten about 13% annual return. Which is phenomenal. Right. But listen, 6 to 8% is nothing to sneeze at. That's a right. really strong return. Really so good. getting that kind of a bump is a BFD, as our president would put it. But also, you're, because it's insurance, insurance deals in risk. Insurance deals in the likelihood of something bad happening to you. And in this case, the bad thing that could happen to you is you could live longer and not have other sources of money. Living longer is great. I want everyone to live longer. But you could end up in the situation that you're insured against, being poor when you're elderly. So to me, I just, I love the way you put it. Don't think about it like a bank account. Am I breaking even? Am I Mm -hmm. earning more total dollars? You don't think about any other insurance policy that way. Don't think about Social Security that way. Think about it in terms of what is going to best protect me long-term against risk that I'm going to be poor, not have enough money when I'm older. That is my soapbox that was a little longer than 30 seconds. All right. I love your soapbox. I appreciate the insights from Matt Robeson on the financial, non-financial advice. This is not financial advice, (laughs) but really great. I want to to turn it around to spend a few minutes at least on the other end. We talked about retirees, about to retire in retirement. Let's go to the young investors in the bear market. How should they be thinking about this, either middle of your career or even younger? Can I guess? (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. It's not true that you can read on the internet or you can see on The Simpsons that the Chinese use the same word for crisis and opportunity. It's not really true but it's so truthy that it might as well be true is that where you're going with this that there's a little truthy. opportunity here <laughs> truthy it's, uh, truthy. it's very truthy it's got a lot of truthiness <laughs> to it yes warren buffett says you should treat stocks like hamburgers and if you like hamburgers when they go on sale you get to eat more hamburgers oh my <laughs> it's gosh. great we just lost the vegan audience 
I know. They just tuned what out. What do I do? Do I eat to- more tofu? Explain. Tofu. If you like tofu. I want more sight. Yeah, it's exactly right. And hopefully you are doing, the, like we said before, that automatic savings into your 401ks and your IRAs. Hopefully you've automated it, just coming out of your paycheck. You're saving off the top. So that is the great news here is that you want a, you want a bear market. If you are young or in the middle of your career, you actually want stocks to get cheap. And I, I told you earlier, they're not really cheap right now. So I would not be surprised. Let me say it this way. I won't be surprised if it goes up 10 or 20% right. from here. I'm not going to be surprised if it goes down 10, 20, 30% from here. And as things get cheaper, you get to buy more of them. And so that's a great news for younger investors. Keep up with that, that what we call dollar cost averaging. You're just buying in the market every month, every year, same amount, spread out over time. So as things get cheaper, you just get to buy more of them. So it's great. It's such a weird psychology to... The market's going down and it just feels strange. It's this is a bad situation. I'm running into it. I want to buy more of it. Well, here's the thing. But it makes sense. But it's really dependent on your perspective. So much of the commentary, this is bad, it's a bear market, you're losing all this money, is based on people that are retired. Retiring, retired, have large portfolios that are dropping in value. It's not really in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and you're just adding to your portfolio. You're adding way more than you've already accumulated. And so as things go on sale, think of it this way, Matt. Here's the way really to think about it. Every time a current market drops in value, you're adding to your future returns. Your future returns will be higher. The lower the market goes now, the higher the future returns. And if you want more future returns, you want the stock market to go lower now. That is, that is interesting. And it's, it's, it's an interesting. This is a total side note. It's a total side note. But we do have a bias in our thinking in this country toward the elderly. Listen, I respect my elders. I'm going to be an elder very soon. But (laughs) it's just it's interesting that Americans over age 65 make up only 17 percent of the population. But we spend. I didn't know it's that low. It's that low. It's that low. About one in six Americans is over age 65. We spend about 40 percent of our entire federal budget on them. And. There's a reason for that because seniors in America used to be poor, which is why we created social insurance like Medicare and Social Security. And it's interesting that in the ultimate kind of private sector investing side of things, we also bias our thinking toward the needs of seniors and not toward the needs of young people. Again, nothing but respect for our elders. It's just children under age 18 are the poorest age group in America. One in six children in this country lives in poverty. And seniors are the opposite. They're the wealthiest group in this country. So it's just everything you just said about your stock investing, you should adopt a long-term growth mindset of a young person if you're in that situation and not get over-biased toward the mindset that we adopt toward retirees. Yeah, and it's a really good point, actually, because if you're in your early 20s or you haven't really started in the stock market, you're probably not even thinking about it all. You're not listening to this podcast. You're probably not reading anything. But it's, let's target those people that are in their 30s. You're in your 30, like you've built up some money, so now and it's lost value. Hey, my 401k has actually come down in value a number of dollars that's hurting you. It's like, geez, that was twenty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 I just lost. So that you're reading the news and offering that as a pain point. But understand what you just said, Matt you still have 30 years, 20 years of adding to that pot. So you want it to go lower, actually, because you are going to continue to add to it. And remember, the farther it goes down now, 
the higher the future returns will be. What a delightfully high note to end the show on. The idea that, yes, crisis and opportunity can be the same thing. It's called a crisis-tunity, and we might be in one right now if you're young enough. If you're not, then not so awesome. But, hey, great advice, great perspective. Mike Morton, as always, thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us on Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me at LinkedIn or MortonFinancialAdvice.com. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have a comment or question, please email me at FinancialPlanningPod at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered for investment advice. Opinions expressed as are of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. We do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the data presented here.